John chapter 1. We're talking about Christ's method. We uh, started this back in March, took a couple weeks break. But in John chapter 1, we're going to pick up a little bit more as we examine more closely Christ's method. For me, John chapter 1 really outlines Christ's method when it comes to just his approach to saving people on the cosmic level, on the grand scheme. So we're going to John chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 10. When you're there, go ahead and say amen. Amen. All right. Awesome. John chapter 1, verse 10. It's the fourth book of the New Testament. The gospel writer John, he's writing probably 30 years after the other gospels have been written. He knows that Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they've kind of been looking at the story of Christ's life with, with a single lens, a single eye. That's why they're called the synoptic gospels. And John comes 30 years later, a few decades later, and says, you know what? There's part of the story of Jesus that, that some people just don't know. And so here it is, John chapter 1, beginning in verse 10. It says this, reading from the New King James. The Bible says, He was in the world, and the world was made through Him, and the world did not know Him. He came to His own, and His own did not what? did not receive him. Keep that word receive just uh, on a shelf in your mind. Paralambano. This isn't just your normal taking. This is a kind of an initiative taking. You know how sometimes, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you're in a crowd of people and someone just walks up to you and just puts something in your belly and your natural response is to, to take it, right? That's kind of a passive taking. Paralambano right here, receive, is talking about taking the initiative to receive. Paralambano. He came to his own, and his own did not do that towards him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And here's verse 14, talking about Christ's method. How did he come to us? And the word became flesh, and did what? Lived here with us? Awesome. My Bible says dwelt among us. Any, any other versions out there? No? And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. I want you to dwell on that word, dwell. <laughs> he dwelt among us. The word here is only used a handful of times in the New Testament. Once here in the Gospel of John, four other times in the book of Revelation. We'll look at two of those later on. But Jesus dwelt. In other words, he set up his tent. Very literally, he encamped next to us. He moved in to us, uh, next door to our neighborhood, basically. He came. He dwelt among us. In other words, Jesus' ministry, his method wasn't remote. It wasn't distance learning, so to speak. It wasn't via webcam or online. It wasn't a Zoom conference. No, Jesus came. He came and he dwelt among us. He came to his own. This is what uh, you know, theologians call this the incarnation. Have you heard that word before? No, it's not a type of milk. It's an incarnation. It's, it's talking about becoming in flesh, carne, right? Infleshment. Why? Why is this so important? Because in Hebrews chapter 2, uh, the Apostle Paul, he picks, up, he picks up the importance of this theme. It says, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. Why? For what purpose? 
so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. Can you say amen to that? As Jesus became flesh, as Jesus uh, dwelt among us, he did it so that he could break the dominion of evil in your life and mine. That's Jesus. To destroy the devil, he freed us. And according to John chapter 1, verse 4, the word became flesh, dwelt among us. And what was the consequence or the, the subsequent, subsequent uh, result? We beheld his glory. We beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. In other words, he came to dwell among us so that we could perceive who in the world he really is. Right? So that we could appreciate his character, see his glory, and actually receive him and thereby become his children. This mode of ministry, this incarnational mode of ministry, this mode of ministry that is intent on seeking closeness and proximity, um, bridging the gap, so to speak. It's clearly seen not just on the grand scale. Okay, he came uh, as, as a baby. He came as a human. It's not just um, on the grand scale or the generalities, but it's also seen in the specific moments of his ministry, the specific style of his ministry, his style of ministry, his method was incarnational. His method was to come close. His method was to move in next door and very literally to come into people's homes. Have you seen that before in the stories of the gospel? Uh, Jesus' habit of receiving people, that he has a habit, I should say. He has a habit, a common practice of, of getting into people's houses. He's not just a, someone who wants to dwell in a human flesh house. He wants to get into people's houses. Think about this. From the very beginning, if you still have John chapter 1, uh, just later on in the chapter, it says in verse 35, again, the next day John, this is John the Baptist, stood with two of his disciples. And those two disciples were John the Beloved, who wrote this gospel, and Andrew, the brother of Simon Peter. It says in verse 36, And looking at Jesus, as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and seeing them following, said to them, what do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which is to say when translated teacher, where are you staying? Where are you staying? And Jesus says, or verse 39, he said to them, come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the 10th hour. In other words, they spent the whole day together in Presumably his home or where he was staying, his dwelling place. In other words, when the disciples wanted to, to know who Jesus was, they didn't just want to see his square footage and what he was hanging on the wall. And th- he, he, they wanted to be in his presence. And the best way to do that was to be in his home. Now, it wasn't just that Jesus or it wasn't just that the disciples wanted to, like I said, see his decor. Jesus was eager to draw near to his disciples in their homes too. Several examples of this in Mark chapter 1, um, we're told in Mark chapter 1 verse 29 that Jesus goes to the home of Simon and Andrew, uh, Peter and Andrew. They were brothers. They were brothers, right? And it's there in that home as a result of staying in that home that uh, Peter introduces Jesus to his sick mother-in-law and, uh, and Jesus raises her from her, from her fever, Okay. He stayed at Peter and Andrew's place, and the blessing was a result. Peter's mother-in-law was healed. She was able to recover. 
Luke chapter 5, when he finds another disciple, he was a tax collector named Matthew, Levi and Matthew. Again, these guys had, had nicknames and things like that. And he comes up to this tax collector, asks him to follow. Matthew leaves all and follows. In the very next verse, in Luke chapter 5, verse 29, we're told that Levi hosts a party in his house. And guess who's there? Jesus, right? Again, Jesus isn't just wanting to see, hey, what do you have hanging on the walls? He wants to be with his disciples. And he wants to be in their homes. A lot of other examples we can look at. People that Jesus invested in deeply. He went to their homes, Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus, right? Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 42. There's this story where Martha is busy about her business and stuff. And Mary just wants to sit at Jesus' feet. This is Jesus' mode of operation. He loves to not just come in the flesh. He wants to come into our, our homes. And here's the question. Why did Jesus do this? Why was this a big deal for him? Not, why did he just content, not content himself just to dwell in the flesh of humanity, but to actually come close, to enter our homes or enter our, our spaces, enter the homes of those he wanted to disciple? Why did he do this? I would suggest this. That simple act communicated a significant <coughs> message. That simple act communicated a significant message. And the message was this. I accept you. I value you. And I embrace you. Do you think about the culture and the time in which Jesus lived? This was not, I mean, entering people's homes was, was not uh, something you took lightly. I mean, go to a story in Luke chapter 19. Uh, so just a few, few pages maybe before where you are in John Luke chapter 19, I think this story kind of highlights in particular how culturally getting into people's homes was not something you did without calculated measurement. <laughs> and just recognizing, hey, by going into this person's home, I'm communicating a lot, not just to that individual, but to the people around, okay? Luke chapter 19, maybe a familiar story to some of us. There's, there's a man named Zacchaeus. Um, He's a tax collector too, a chief tax collector according to 19.2, Luke 19, verse 2. You know the story maybe. Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus, can't see Jesus because of his vertical challenge, okay? He climbs up into a sycamore tree and Jesus, the Bible says he came to the spot or the place, verse 5. And when Jesus came to the place, that is the place where Zacchaeus was, the place that Jesus had on his GPS. He was routed directly to it. He looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay where? At your house. That's right, at your house. Of all places in this town of Jericho, Jesus wants to stay at Zacchaeus's house. This is a big deal. Because staying at people's homes, entering into people's spaces wasn't just about, hey, I got an invitation to that person's house or whatever. Being there meant a lot. According to one social science commentary on the Gospels, it says this, Jesus is accepting him, Zacchaeus. Jesus is accepting him as one with whom values and understandings are shared. As one with whom community is possible. This is a, a very, I don't know, maybe it's not very different, but this is not something as palpable as it is, as it, it's not as palpable today as it was then. 
Entering into one's home, inviting one into, into the home of another, it communicates so much. It communicates, especially in that honor-shame society, it communicated so much. Jesus' method of discipleship, of investing in people, here in this story, he's investing in Zacchaeus, another tax collector. It often started with invitations, invitations to and time in people's homes. Don't worry, I'm getting to a point here, and I want you to catch this. Just, if, you, if you're just kind of understanding the, the case that I'm laying here, that Jesus' deep investment, his discipleship, his method of reaching people often started with an invitation to or time in people's homes. He wanted to share not just physical space, but emotional space. He wanted to resonate with their hearts, with their values, and with their understanding. I think there's a real practical application here, and I'll just highlight it right now, that in our efforts to make disciples, in our efforts to deeply invest in people, by the way, have you been praying? Have you been praying for those people that you want to deeply invest in or the people that that God may be uh, revealing to you as those that he wants to give to you, as we talked about several weeks ago? In our efforts to disciple those individuals, in our efforts to mingle with with, with men as one who desires their good, in all of our efforts... I believe that following Jesus' example urges us to open our homes and enter into others' homes. I believe the example of Jesus is urging us to open our homes and to enter into other people's homes, literally. Now, some of you, I know your Martha-like instincts are kind of fluttering with anxiety right now, but my home's not ready. I can't host it. It's not enough space. Okay, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Because it doesn't have to be your home that they enter. You can enter their homes too. But don't miss the point. Sure, inviting people to church is great. But what if inviting people to your home is even greater? What? What What if God can work even more powerfully in that environment? Maybe we should say before we invite people to church. We should invite people to our homes. And that is to say that before we invite people to, to a, a place or a program, we invite people to our hearts. That's what we're saying. We invite people to our homes. Before we expect people to believe the same or be- behave the same, we need to let them know that they belong. And maybe that starts in the home. What if the hub and epicenter of gospel ministry and discipleship isn't the church? I would submit that the hub of gospel ministry is actually the home. Home is the hub. Home as the hub. Are we following today? That's that's Jesus' method. It's right there. Hey, Zacchaeus, I'm going to stay at your house. Simon, I'm not, I guess it was Andrew and John. Hey, come see where I stay. Peter and Andrew, I'll go. I'll go to your house. Even mountain homes. Yeah, that would be awesome. And so this is why Jesus instructs the disciples. I mean, if you remember, if you remember Luke chapter 10, Jesus is sending out the disciples two by two. And some of his very first instructions 
when you enter people's homes, right? That, again, Jesus is, is not just living this example. He's actually instructing people. He's telling, go to their homes. And if they don't accept you, then move on. But if they do, if you find a son of peace there, then stay there. Stay there long. Go from house to house. The early church persisted with this ministry. They were described as breaking bread from house to house. And that's why it was so natural for the church to be found in people's homes. You read about in Romans chapter 16, Paul is writing to Priscilla and Aquila. And he says, hey, greet the the church that meets in your home. What, what, What are you talking about? Because this was the hub of discipleship. Not necessarily a program. Programs are great. Not necessarily a, a, a large building, and those buildings are great. But your home is where you can open your heart to people. We following today? That was Jesus' ministry. That was Jesus' method. And I want to appeal before moving on here. And if, if you've ever been part of a small group, or, or if you ever want to start a small group, we just had a conversation right before church. I think we're going to be starting a men's group on Wednesday nights. Dominic? Yeah? Awesome. <laughs> and so if you're in a women's group, oh, in May sweet deal and then we've got our mini small group so here's here's just another practical appeal go ahead start a group in your home maybe you're again you're not wanting people in your space start a group and say hey we're gonna meet in your home you know jesus did it jesus did it i must stay right we can do it anyways uh, when it comes to small groups I want to relieve you of the pressure of being scripted and feeling like you've got to have this, this uh, you know, lengthy program or whatever. Um, really, the content is secondary. The context is everything. That's right. Okay? The context is a redemptive fellowship is what I like to call it. Focus on a context of genuine trust and friendship, and the content will follow. The content will follow. I'm excited about, about the things that are going to be starting up for ladies, for the gentlemen. And then uh, for, yeah, people who are wanting to know how to practically impact others' lives. So thank you, Kim, for doing that, too. Now, here's, here's what I want to make sure we understand here. That this ministry of Jesus, of coming close and staying in people's homes, it's, uh, I, I think seeing the value of this happens as we see the contrast of it. Because the sad reality, especially in this story, Luke chapter 19, The sad reality is that this opening of the home, this relational embrace of others, was not the method of ministry of the leaders of Jesus' day. It was not their method. In fact, it was the complete opposite of the ministry of the religious leaders of that day. I mean, you can see it here in Luke chapter 19, verse 7. Notice the the stir, (laughs) the dismay that was just disturbed here that day in verse 7 in luke chapter 19 it says but when they saw it they all complained i think the english standard version says this when they saw it they all grumbled he has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner as if they're not you see that in that honor shame society where status was the hot commodity and it was a limited commodity at that Entering into people's homes, for them, was about what they got out of the deal, how much status they gained by going to someone's home, what would be added to their, their uh, reputation. But when it came to the ministry, or so when it came to ministry to sinners, their default was to stand afar off, assuming that others would step up, step up to where they were, so to speak. But now Jesus steps into your home and mine. He wants to step into your heart and mine long before we've ever become his friends. 
I love the, the picture of Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. It's the picture of Jesus. Not a salesman, but one who wants to be your friend. I stand at the door and knock, right? I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. The word who became flesh and dwelt among us is the one who receives people first in hopes that they will receive him. Luke chapter 15, verse 2. I love this. Another story. So uh, go a few chapters earlier. Luke chapter 15, verse 2. It's almost kind of a repeat of Zacchaeus' house before it ever happens. In chapter 15, I'll start in verse 1. The Bible says, Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. The gravitational pull of God's love is amazing. Verse 2, And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. There's that word again, receives, paralambano, takes people with his initiative. He receives sinners and eats with them. And notice what they meant to be a criticism of Jesus was actually the keynote of his ministry. He receives sinners. Hallelujah. He receives you. He receives me. And I want us to to look at this quote. I I was reading this in my devotional time earlier this week. I've been studying the parables of Jesus. And in um, one, one of the chapters here in Christ's Object Lessons, notice, just notice how Jesus received people like this. Okay, come on. No, no, no. Notice how he, how he did it. The souls who came to Jesus felt in his presence that even for them, there was escape from the pit of sin. The Pharisees had only scorn and condemnation for them, but Christ greeted them as children of God, estranged indeed from the Father's house, but not forgotten by the Father's heart. I love that. The farther they had wandered from him, the more earnest the longing and the greater the sacrifice for their rescue. Oh. There, the, the external commentary is this man receives sinners and Jesus' mental script is, this is a child of God that I am taking. They may feel far from the Father's heart, but they are not. They're not forgotten by the Father's heart. And the farther they are, the greater he wants to sacrifice for them. The farther they feel, the greater he loves them. This is powerful. The question I want to ask today is, how do I receive people? Like when people are in in my presence, how how am I greeting them? What, What am I thinking towards them as I receive people or take people into my presence, let alone my home? Do we just tolerate others' presence or do we see them as God's children? And affirm that identity in the way we speak, not just with our words, but with our body language as well. Do we affirm that kind of identity in the way we interact with them, look at them, and treat them? Do, we, do those individuals who are in our presence or in our homes, do they walk away from our presence feeling that, that we've added value to their lives? Feeling that we've affirmed their identity as children of the Most High King? Mm. Jesus received sinners. He embraced them took them to himself. There's no greater example of this than on that hill called Golgotha. The story of the cross 
is the story of the man who receives sinners. The story of the cross. Do you know the story? It's the story of a man who is more than a man. The story of one who was arrested and tried, shamed and crucified. All of that was worth it because there was a joy that was set before him. A joy that was set before him. He was willing to receive shame and scorn. He was willing to receive a bleeding brow and a crown of thorns, a rugged cross and wrenching nails if it meant being able to receive sinners like you and me. He was willing to receive that so that he could receive me. We've been talking about receiving others, but do you know that Jesus has received you? Do you know it? Jesus receives you. He accepts you. He embraces you as a child of God long before you've done anything to deserve it. He died for you and demonstrated his love for us that while we were still his enemies, while we were filled with unbelief and indifference, while no chord of our own hearts resonated with any chord in his own heart, he receives you. Do you want to receive him today? Do you Do you want to receive the man who receives you today? One day soon, the one who on the cross declared once and for all that he receives sinners will come on the clouds of glory and he will receive to himself his beautiful bride. That's you and me. (laughs) Oh man, this man not just receives sinners on, on the hill of Golgotha. He will receive sinners, you and me for all eternity, fully, ultimately. He'll make us at home with him, and the dwelling place of God will be with men. Go with me to uh, Revelation, last verses that we're going to be looking at. Revelation chapter 21. We talked about that word dwell, how it's used just a few other times outside of John chapter 1. Revelation uh, 21. Actually, let me start with Revelation 7.15, and I have it here on the screen. And I just love the way that the NASB puts it. Talking about the numberless multitude who are redeemed by the Lamb, it says, They are before the throne of God. They serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will spread His tabernacle over them. The word is, He will dwell with them, right? This is what God wants to do for us. He wants to shelter us in His presence. And eventually, if you're there now, Revelation 21, verse 3, the climax of it all. Revelation 21 verse 3, and I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them. Amen. (laughs) I'll read it again. Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them. They shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There should be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There should be no more pain, for their former things have passed away. Oh, that's going to be a glorious day. Oh, that's going to be a glorious day. I've asked the song team, we're going to sing a song here together called Glorious Day, just kind of outlining the story of Jesus. And I just want to appeal to you, He's coming again to receive us to himself. You can come on up, get set up here. He's coming again to receive us to himself. So why wouldn't we receive him today? The crucified, 
and risen Savior is also the soon coming Savior. Will we receive him today? Yeah. We're going to sing this song, and you're welcome to sing with us. I want this to be a congregational time. But um, I want to just have a special prayer with anyone who just wants to renew their commitment to receive Jesus. And while we're singing, I want to encourage you just to kind of congregate here in the middle. Uh, this is kind of like an altar call, really. This is, I mean, it's a smaller environment. You can uh, sense that. But I, I want to, if you want to respond practically and just say, yeah, Jesus, please receive me. You know my junk. You know my past. You know I don't think it's very possible that a man like you could want me. But if you can roll the, the, the tombstone away, if you can break the power of death, then you can receive me too. And if that's your desire, as we're singing, just come on over to the middle. Let's stand together while we sing.